Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, the year of release. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Let's look at some of these phrases Jesus said he was anointed to do. To proclaim liberty to the captives. This word liberty means release from bondage or imprisonment. It means forgiveness or pardons of sins. You'll find my notes in the YouVersion Bible app. It means forgiveness or pardons of sins and also release from bondage or imprisonment. This phrase captives means literally to be taken by a spear. It's the word to talk about prisoner of war. And so the image this Greek word paints is someone holding a spear over you to keep you captive. And Jesus, I'm anointed to proclaim liberty to the prisoners of war. Notice what we look at the next phrase. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. This word oppressed means crushed, broken in pieces, and shattered. This word oppressed means crushed broken in pieces, and shattered. And so we could even look at it, those who have been crushed and broken into pieces by life. Jesus, I'm anointed to set them at liberty. Notice how it translates it in Isaiah 61, 1, because this is what Jesus is quoting here in this passage. It says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus said, I'm anointed to proclaim it and we also know from his life he opened it, right? So what happens if the prison door is opened? To experience freedom, all you have to do is walk out. Jesus opened the door. All you have to do is walk out. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, still laying the foundation for where we're going today. Acts 10, 38. Now, we've covered before that Luke chapter 4, what Jesus quoted here from Isaiah 61, is what he preached in the early days in his earthly ministry. Wherever he went, up until the time John the Baptist was arrested, this is the message he kept preaching from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue. When he studied the earthly ministry of Jesus, especially his teaching ministry and some of his preaching ministry, he would go around in a circuit preaching the same message or versions of the same message wherever he went. And then he would change the message as the Father told him. He changed the message after John the Baptist was arrested and began to preach another message. So in the early days of Jesus' ministry, he preached about what he was anointed to do. So now Peter's going to sum up that message and then sum up the over three years of Jesus' ministry in Acts 10.38. Because it says this didn't just happen in a corner. It was spread from Galilee to all Judea. You guys who were in Caesarea heard it too. Verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what spread through the area? Jesus is anointed. That's what they heard. That's where we get the word Christ from. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means the anointed one. So what spread? Jesus is anointed. Jesus is the Christ. And what did he do? Whatever I hear, he went about doing good. What is doing good? It's a philanthropic term. So Jesus used the anointing to be a philanthropist. Now, one of the things we see from the Gospels, from his ministry, that he gave to the poor. That's what he did. He used the anointing to give to the poor. And I'm going to pause the message right here to give a shout-out to you guys. Because earlier this week, you guys got the text on Wednesday, and heard me talk about on a midweek. One of our local organizations we partnered with talked about how hard it was to get peanut butter and jelly to feed the kids who rely on the public school system to have breakfast and lunch. They, we usually always send them a check every summer, but they told us, hey, the issue is we're having a hard time getting peanut butter and jelly. And they said, can you guys help us? And I was like, we got you. And so for those of you who are watching online, there is a table overflowing with peanut butter and jelly in the lobby. And Fayetteville has sent some up too. It's loaded in the vehicle on its way. And so you guys have stepped up to the plate. First, I like to have the rep we like to have a reputation in the community that if something goes down, call faith. Because we have consistently proven that we will help out and make a difference. And so we're following the example of Jesus. He consistently gave to the poor. But he also used the anointing and had financial miracles. You see that through the Gospels as well. But also he used the anointing to heal all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That word oppressed means to have authority exercised over you in a harsh way. So we're saying the devil, Satan, was exercising his authority over people in a harsh way, and Jesus came with the anointing and got the devil off of them. This is summing up what Jesus did in his ministry and what he's still doing today. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Look at the second part of this verse. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, when we think about the modern use of the word destroy, we think obliterate. But that's not what this word means. This word destroy means to loosen. Say loosen. This word destroy means to loose or loosen. So what do we see just from these few scriptures so far? Jesus came to open the prison doors. And he came to loose every chain. So anything that tells you you are stuck this way, it can never change. You were born this way. This is what you're stuck with because this is who you are, who your daddy was, who your grandma was, who all your ancestors were. You are stuck this way. Anything that teaches you that or says that is a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Jesus came and opened the door. It doesn't matter if everyone in your immediate ancestry is an alcoholic. Jesus came and opened the door. 
it doesn't matter if everybody in immediate ancestry has been stuck in poverty. Jesus came and opened the door. It doesn't matter if everybody in immediate ancestry has broken homes and broken relationships. Jesus came and opened the door. He opened the door and loosed every chain. Nothing can hold you. Nothing can keep you. The door is open. Say, the door is open. The chains are loose. That's scripture. So to believe a lie, saying, well, my life will never change. I can never get free of this. This is just who I am. It's a lie. Don't, when are you going to stop believing lies about yourself? Jesus says the door is open. Jesus said the chains are loose. I just believe Jesus did a good job when he came to the earth, suffered, died, got back up again, ascended to heaven, and sent us the Holy Ghost. I just believe Jesus did a good job. And notice I said, he did a good job, meaning it is a finished work. Your freedom is a finished work. The door is open. The chains are loose. It's time to walk in it. You have to be careful in this culture that you don't believe a lie. Stop partnering with the lie. Stop agreeing with the lie. Don't identify with the lie. Don't identify with the label and the limit they put in you. So many believers live in prisons because they believe the lie. And you're living in a prison and the door is open. You're living chained up, but the chains are loose. Just waiting for you to follow Taylor Swift's advice and shake it off. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We're just starting stuff today. So we said, we're just starting. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. So no temptation can show up in your life that's not common to humanity. That means Satan can't take something from the cosmos and bring it to your life Anything he brings your way is common to humanity, not obscure to humanity, common. So here's another lie believers usually believe. It's just me going through this. No one else has faced what I face. No one else has seen the trouble I've seen. No, no, no. If it shows up in your life, it's common to humanity. Not common to few, but common to humanity. Which is why we need to live in community. Because there's freedom in saying, me too. Oh, bruh, you're fighting this? Me too. Oh, man, you struggle with this? Me too. There's freedom in community because we realize there's only one perfect person in this place, and his name is Jesus. The rest of us are works in progress. So understand why Satan wants to isolate you when you do something stupid. Because he's trying to make you believe a lie that is just you going through it. And that's also why Satan likes to separate the generations. 
We are a multi-generational church on purpose, and we will stay a multi-generational church. Do you know why that's important? Because what happens if you have someone, a family, a couple, they go through something and they kick its tail, they have wisdom to pass down to those who come after them. Oh, you're going through it? It's okay. We went through it too. You can come out on the other side. Come on. You have to have some people who are a little bit more advanced than you say, oh, yeah, your kids ain't sleeping at night. It's okay. They will sleep again. And you will sleep again. Eventually, it'll happen. It may not be today, but you will get through this season as well. Community. There's freedom in community. Because we're all on this journey together. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Individually, you'll be isolated. It won't go as far. Together, we'll accomplish what God has for us to do. So no temptation has overtaken you except it's common to man. But God is faithful. Say he's faithful. Come on, say he's faithful. Come on, say he's faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Here's another limitation put on the enemy. So notice one, God is not bringing the temptation. Let's clear that up. God did not bring the temptation. You facing a trouble or a trial temptation today, Jesus did not send it. He did not open the prison door and loose every chain to give you a chain. Satan is the one who sent it. But you have to understand if it shows up in your life, number one, it's common to humanity. Number two, you can handle it. Nothing is allowed to show up in your life that you can't handle. So the lie is you can't defeat this. You can't handle this. You can't beat this. Yeah, you handle stuff in your past, but there's no way for you to handle this. This is too big for you. You might as well quit. You might as well stop serving Jesus. You might as well leave that faith stuff alone. You might as well end your life because this is too big. A lie from hell. How many people have backed away from the calling or even worse, into their life because a situation showed up and thought there's no way I can overcome this? And the enemy torments their mind. You can't beat this, you might as well quit. You can't beat this, you might as well end your life. You can't beat this, it's a lie. If it shows up in your life, it's common to humanity, and nothing is allowed to show up in your life that you cannot handle. That's scripture. That's the Bible. Why? Because God's faithful. God didn't send it, but he limited your enemy. Guys, the deck is stacked. The, the stack, oh, guys, 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 guys. The deck is stacked in your favor. Your enemy has already been detoothed. Because Jesus went to hell, kicked his tail, and took away the keys of death and the grave. And Jesus got us his all authority, all power has been given unto me. Now you go. What he did? He gave you his authority. He gave you his blood. He gave you his spirit. He gave you his word. He gave you his covenants. And then the enemy who comes against you doesn't have all the tools he likes to tell you that he has. And he's limited. He can only use what's common to humanity. And he only can use stuff that you can beat. Notice what it says next. But with the temptation, 
God will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. With every temptation, there is a way out. Say, there's a way out. Say, there's a way out. So there's nothing that can show up that there's not a way out. There's nothing that can show up that makes you feel stuck. There's nothing that can show up that will keep you bound for the rest of your life. If it shows up, there is a way out. Jesus opened the door and he loosed every chain. Say, there's a way out. In this building, there's many ways out of this room. See, God gave you the Holy Ghost to show you the way out. So you can't say there's no way out of this situation. There is a way. And he sent the Spirit of God to open your eyes and show you the way. Come on, the Holy Ghost can be like the Mandalorian saying, this is the way. He will show you where to go. He will show you what to do. He will tell you things to come. So a question I have for you today, how many of you are still in the prison because you haven't lifted up your eyes to walk out? How many situations have weighed down our life for so long because we haven't taken the way the Holy Ghost told us to take? How many of us are keeping shackles on? And we didn't even listen to that Mary Mary song from the 90s. He's taking the shackles off my feet so I can dance. You just stop dancing. You just like your shackles. There's a way out. Say, there's a way out. You don't have to be stuck any longer. You don't have to be shackled any longer. You don't have to be in prisons any longer. Oh, pastor, but what about those who are in prison wrongfully? They're coming out. I said they're coming out. Oh, no, no, I'll declare this in front of you. Do you know why they're coming out? Because we as Faith Christian Center are going in. We will open campuses and prisons across this state. We will take the freedom of Jesus into the prison and reform it. Say, there's a way out. Every time something shows up, there's a way out. One of the greatest things God has given you in your arsenal so you can live the free life is the ability to choose. So for you to say you're in a situation where you don't have a choice is wrong. You have a choice. Say, I have a choice. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. That was just my intro. Genesis chapter 2. I like that. That's the appetizer. I like that. Genesis chapter 2. Start with verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst or in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So remember, we talked about this garden before. This garden wasn't small. It's not what we were used to call a garden today. This garden was huge. It covered parts of northern Africa as well as the Middle East. This garden was so big, it would cover a number of countries today. And it says God filled that garden with every tree that was pretty and every tree that was good to eat from. 
So there wasn't just a couple trees. See, from there are hundreds, maybe even thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of trees that are good for food. In addition, trees that are just beautiful to look at. And then in addition to all of those trees, there were two special trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told them, you can eat from any tree in this garden but one. What is that? Choice. You have a choice. So that means they could have eaten from the tree of life whenever they wanted. Because the tree of life even shows up again at the end, and we know what special tree that does, what that produces. But also imagine to be able to eat from thousands upon thousands of trees. Choices all day long. The only rule was do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we know Adam was supposed to dress and tend and take care of the garden, so that means he would have to take care of that tree. He even have to harvest from it, but he was not supposed to eat it. And we'll dive into more of that as we go through this series, but notice that choice was there. Now go to Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Notice the beast of the field. Not a beast of the garden. A beast of the field. So when that showed up, Adam and Eve should have known something has showed up in our lives that shouldn't be here. Because that beast did not belong in the garden. It belonged in the field. How many of you are entertaining stuff that shows up in your life that you already know when it shows up, I should have dealt with it, but you want to talk to some snakes. You want to talk to some stuff in the field. Entertain it, have a whole good conversation. Some of you single people, stop talking to those snakes. Stop talking to those in the field. You better get back in your father's garden. Oh, I just want to see what it's like on the outside. There's consequences when you go outside, and God doesn't want you to experience those consequences. So get your tail back in the garden. Oh, I need someone. No, you need to sit down and get free in Jesus before you say you need somebody else. Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent has said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now he's talking about thousands of trees. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God says you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So she added to it, but we'll get into that later. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Satan always contradicts the word of God. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So Satan comes against God's motives. But notice something. What motive of Eve does Satan appeal to? Her desire to be like God. Does anybody want to be like God? I want to be like God. Don't, it's not your question. Anybody else want to be like God? I want to be like God. Or we say it this way, I want to be godly. So Eve has this good desire to be godly to be like God. Now, what this also reveals in this temptation, she didn't understand who she was. She didn't understand that her and Adam were already the gods of this planet. Because the only way Satan became the god of this world is because Adam and Eve handed the authority over to him. So this reveals Eve's identity crisis, and Satan always comes for your identity. 
After this message, says, I know what pastor said, but you ain't really free, so stop him in his tracks. You are the free, the prison is open, the chains are loose. But also, he came after a good desire. Do you know, you can have a good desire, a good motive, but do it the wrong way and get tripped up. Eve had the desire to be godly. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it is a desirable tree to make one wise, we'll talk about that later, she took of his fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So let's recap real quick. Notice this about the deception the enemy brought. Eve's desire to be godly or like God was a good desire. The way she went about it was wrong. And it also revealed that she didn't understand who she really was. So this leads us to our main question today's message. What is your approach to God and your approach to being godly? What is your approach to God and your approach to being godly? It's a key question in living free. What is your approach to God and your approach to being godly? Let's analyze your approach with these three questions. You find in my notes in the YouVersion Bible app on the Facebook Faith Plus app. What is your approach to God and your approach to being godly or living the life God has called you to live? These three questions I want you to answer. You don't have to answer them out loud, but I want you to consider and wrestle with them this week. Do you do more to get to God or do you receive the fact that Jesus has already done it? Do you do more to get to God or do you receive the fact that Jesus has already done it? So let's analyze your Christian walk. Are you doing all the things you do to get close to God? Because even the world does that. There are people in the world who erroneously believe that if I do enough good things and my good things outweigh my bad, I get into heaven. And so they're doing all these good things to get to God. When we should understand for the word of God, we can't do enough good to get to God. And the thing is, we don't have to do good to get to God because Jesus did the good. I said, Jesus did the good. He opened the door. He loosened every chain. And he made a way through his flesh for us to come to the Father. So to get to God, are you doing a lot of stuff? Or have you accepted the fact, the truth, that Jesus has already made the way? So do you do more to get to God? Or do you receive the fact Jesus has already done it? Question two. Do you keep trying to get God's approval? Or do you receive the fact that God already loves you? Do you keep trying to get God's approval? Or do you receive the fact that God already loves you? Let's talk about the good things you do, the Christian things you do, the right things you do. Are you doing it to get God to like you more? Are you thinking, well, if I do this, God will like me more? Or are you doing it because he loves you? It's a paradigm shift. Because there's a lot of people who do right because they're just trying to get God to like them. They're just trying to get God to love them. It reminds me of the parable Jesus told about the man who owed a lot of money and couldn't pay it back. So he went before the king and he asked for the king to forgive him, to have mercy. He said, I'll pay it all back. And the king was moved with compassion and he forgave him and he canceled his debt. Now, what was the first thing that man did? He ran from the king's presence and found someone who owed him 
he grabbed him by the neck and shook him, says, pay me what you owe me. And a lot of times we say, well, that man must have been evil. I don't believe that man was evil. I just believe that man didn't believe he was forgiven. Because if the first thing you do is go find someone to pay you back, that means you're still trying to pay that man back. Think about it this way. If you got a call that your house was paid off, or all your student loans were paid off, the first thing you wouldn't do is try and go find someone to pay you money. You would take laps. Some of the most conservative people in here, you'd be backflipping up and down the altar. You'd be reenacting that scenes from Blues Brother 2000, and like you'd be flying in the air. It's like, man, how do they get up in the sky? You'd be celebrating. You'd be rejoicing. You'd be thankful. You'd be grateful because you know you've been forgiven. You wouldn't go find someone who owed you money. This man in the parable didn't believe he was forgiven. And that motivated him. He thought, I have more time to pay the debt. And that influenced his decision to go take it out on somebody else to pay the king back. How many Christians come from a place not truly believing they're forgiven? It's the bedrock of our Christianity that God has forgiven us. And we accept it mentally, but how many of us actually believe it deep in our heart? That for the rest of my life, I'm trying to pay God back because of all the good he's done for me. You can't pay him back. To try to pay him back is the wrong motive. You might be trying to do a good thing, but you can't pay him back. Because if you could pay him back, you could have earned your salvation. Salvation is a gift. But if you try to live your life paying God back, your Christianity will come off harsh. Your holiness will be without love. And in time, instead of helping people up, you will look down on them to judge them. And even if somehow you can keep all the commands of the book, you wouldn't live from a place of the righteousness which comes by faith, but you'll live by self-righteousness. And you'll end up in another trap of pride. And although you may not have the spirits that someone else is dealing with, but now you're entertaining religious spirits. You think you're free, but you walked yourself into another prison. We don't live to pay God back. We understand it's a gift. We understand that we've received this gift. We are grateful for this gift. And because we've received this gift that we didn't deserve, that we can't pay for, we gladly dedicate our lives to live for Jesus for the rest of our lives. As Paul says, it just makes sense to serve with our life the one who died for us. So notice the motive. One is serving out, I got to pay God back. One is serving because I'm grateful. Because if you serve with a grateful heart, you'll come from a place of, okay, yeah, I know you're struggling, but I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to help you go forward. Yeah, you may be sinning in a way that I didn't do. And man, I may not have ever seen what you did before. But I'm here as an agent of freedom to help you go forward. I want you to wrestle with these questions this week. Leads me to the third question. Do you obey out of duty or do you obey out of delight? Do you obey out of duty or do you obey out of delight? Because some of us are just keeping the commands because I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army. Yeah, we get it. We are soldiers and the army of God. 
But we shouldn't be keeping the commands because it's a duty. Well, the Bible says I got to do it. Uh, can't go against the word of God. I got to keep the word. Stand on his word. I don't like it, Jesus, but I got to do what he says. Now, you may keep the word and may have the outside guise and appearance and even some inner appearance of holiness. But remember, it says the willing and the obedient eat the good of the land. If you serve out of duty, you will live a life of freedom. You may get, you may have a good, some check marks. I did that, I did that, I read my Bible, I prayed, I interceded, I prayed for the president, I prayed for the governor. I don't like either of them, but I prayed for them, Jesus. I prayed for this person, I did that person, I didn't cuss that person out, I didn't give them the finger on 285. I, also, I listened to Faith in the Morning today, I did that, I check, 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 I got my check marks. Jesus, I fulfilled my Christian duty for today. Now let me go watch Netflix. <laughs> duty. Or is it a delight? Because doing things out of duty actually opens the door for the enemy when there's no delight or joy. I remember this years ago. First lady and I were at a meeting, and Brother Copeland was sharing just parts of his testimony. And he was being just so transparent talking about what he went through. Talking about years ago, now it's decades ago, the Lord told him to go on daily television. And he said he remembered what his mentor told him, says the only thing about daily is that it's daily. <laughs> and so the thing is when the Lord told Brother Copeland to do that, he didn't want to do that. He was flying back from me, he was in the air, and the Lord said do daily. And he's like, I'm tired enough as it is. I don't want to do daily. Who wants to do that? I'm, I'm busy enough as it is. But he's like, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. And he says, I never had a good attitude about it. He was just being honest. Like, I was not happy to do daily television. He says, the only time I smiled was when the camera came on. He said, I'd walk in there, mad, upset, sit down, let it roll. Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory. And he said, I did it for years. Never had a good attitude about it. Just fulfilling my duty. And then he talked about how in the 2000s this back problem came in and pretty much immobilized him for a period of time. And he said the open door for that was I wasn't serving the Lord out of gladness of heart and joy. And he says Deuteronomy 28 says when you don't do that, that opens the door for the curse. He was doing what he was supposed to do, but not enjoying gladness, not a delight, but out of duty. And the enemy was able to attack. And so he said from then on when I realized that, he says, I'm so glad to do daily television. He said, it is my joy to do daily television for you, Jesus. And he says, the first time he made that inner shift, he said he went into that studio and the joy of the Lord hit him and the entire place. It was a shift. It was an internal shift. And if you didn't know him, you wouldn't know that shift was made. So my question for you today, are you obeying God out of duty or delight? Okay, you came to church? Great. Great. Good. I'm glad you're here. But there needs to be some delight and joy in our Christianity. If people know you're serving God because you're always upset, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong there. There's supposed to be joy with our salvation. 
for the kingdom of God is righteous peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that's more than when we just get drunk in the Spirit. Yes, there's joy there, but you should have some joy every day. Because if you serve out of duty, you won't live free. If you serve out of delight, you'll experience the freedom God has for you. So four keys of freedom that I want to leave with you today, and we'll revisit them. So those are three questions I want you to wrestle with this week, with these four keys, and we'll pick up here on Wednesday night and as we go next Sunday. Four keys of freedom, and you find it in my notes. Number one, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Why? We see in the Gospel of John and also in 1 John, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But if you love me, you'll obey all that I command. So we can look at it from this way. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm going to do what he says. We're like, no, I love him. So I'm going to do what he asked me to do. I love him. I'm going to do what he told me to do. That's freedom. As as you heard in the offering earlier today, we're not giving out of pressure. We're free to give. We're giving out of delight. We're giving out of love. It's easy to follow the rules when you're in love. It's harder when you're just trying to do your Christian duty. I believe in Christian disciplines. I believe there are things you're supposed to do every single day. But don't do it out of a sense of duty. Do it out of a sense of delight and out of love for Jesus. So number one, fall in love with Jesus. Number two, serve God through relationship and not rules. Serve God through relationship and not rules. Yes, the rules are right. The commands in the scripture are right. Every command to you in your new covenant is correct. It is yes and amen. It is 100% right. But don't serve through the rules. Serve through the relationship. Do you know why? You can't keep those rules by yourself. How many of you have ever realized that by now? You can't do everything the Bible says with just you. You need help. Anybody need help? But if you try to follow the rules without relationship, you will be frustrated in your Christianity. But through relationships, like Jesus, I need your help. I love you. It's a delight to serve you, but I need to help doing that. Help might want to, because you know, Jesus is being honest. I don't want to do that. But I love you, so I want to do that, so help might want to. Serve the relationship, not rules. When you're struggling with doing something right, tell Jesus. It's not a surprise to him. You know, Jesus is not surprised when you struggle with something. Jesus is not surprised when you don't want to do something. Just tell him, say, Jesus, I need your help with this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to smile at that person. I know what they said last week. I know how they subtweeted me. I know they were talking about me. But help me love them because you love me. Serve their relationship and not rules. Number three. Respond to all sin with life. Respond to all sin with life. So what do you mean by that, Pastor? Don't boycott the things of God because you did something stupid. Because some people, when they sin, when they mess up, they go, oh, i got to run from God. God's mad at me. Oh, I can't open my Bible. God doesn't want to see me today. I can't pray. God, I can't go to church. God doesn't want to see me today. And you boycott the very things that can help you. Respond to all sin with life. We have to have a paradigm shift with our thinking concerning what we do when we mess up. 
We have to develop the relationship and the mentality that when we mess up, we're not saying, oh, my father's going to be so mad at me. We have to develop the mentality that says, oh, I messed up. Let me go tell my father about it. It's a shift. We know what the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9. If you sin, you confess your sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you mess up, you're not running from God. You're running to God saying, God, I blew it. I messed up. Please forgive me. Help me fix this mess that I created. You've confessed. You've asked for forgiveness. And now you position yourself in a place to receive his help. Respond to all sin with life, not condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Too many times Christians respond to sin with guilt, with shame. He said, well, I should feel guilty. Should you? Because the Bible says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means you have been declared not guilty. And how many know from the scripture, whatever Jesus bore, it's our job to resist. And it tells us that he took your shame. If Jesus took your shame, you do not have the right to be ashamed. Your shame will not help you live holy. Your shame will not help you follow the rules. Your shame will not help you become a better Christian. You realizing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you realizing that you are forgiven, you realizing the blood has washed away all your sins will help you do what God has called you to do. So don't respond to sin with shame, with guilt, with boycotting the things of God. Respond with life by running to God by doing life within community, by not isolating yourself, by having people you can actually talk to, people you can actually pray with, by actually having a time in the Word because you're like, I'm not doing this in the Word because I got to, but God's going to talk to me today. Man, I pray God's going to hear me. He's the God who hears and answers prayers. It's a shift of thinking. It's relationship. Number four, guard your heart from going back. Guard your heart from going back. You know, Galatians 5.1 tells us to stand free or stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, not being entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, what the enemy tries to do after you walk out the prison, once you shake off the chains, when a pressure or a trial or temptation comes, there's a lie that comes and says, well, wasn't it better when you were in the world? Wasn't it better before you got saved? You didn't have this pressure. No, it wasn't better because if it was better, you wouldn't have left. If it was better in the world, you would have stayed there. But there was a moment you realized this world is crazy. Jesus is right. Jesus, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. I'm sticking with you. But what the enemy does, he'll say, wasn't it better? Wasn't that the better life? Why? He's trying to offer you a way backward so that you don't see the Holy Ghost's way out. So you have to realize some pressure the enemy throws your way is to get you to erase the progress you have made. Because they say, oh, I haven't really gotten that far. That thought still showed up. Do you know you're not the only one who has access to your thoughts? The enemy can shoot an arrow. And you have to think if he's shooting the arrow, maybe I've come farther than I thought I have. So well, I'm not where I want to be yet. None of us are where we want to be yet. But that doesn't mean go back. Doesn't mean go back to what you were got freed from. So you must guard your heart, your emotions, your mind, your soul from going 
back. And we'll get more into these four keys on Wednesday and next week. Something else I want to leave you with. We cannot live the free life without Jesus or apart from Jesus. You cannot be a successful Christian without the Christ. Living free is rooted in your dependency on him. Notice what Jesus said in John 5, 39-40, talking to the Pharisees and those who were accusing him. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, these scriptures are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. He said, you're looking for eternal life, but you won't come to me, the one who gives life. And 1 John says, he who has a son has life. Are you doing everything else but the main thing? You can't live free in Christ without Christ. You can't live free in Christ outside of Christ. Say, I need him. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 3 and close here. Now, I heard this said a couple of decades ago by Sister Lynn Hammond. And she said, natural maturity is measured by independence. Natural maturity is measured by independence. Like we know a child is growing up when they can do some things for themselves. Like it's a happy day when your kids can make their own breakfast. And clean up after themselves and make food for their sisters. It is a great day. It's a day that celebrates. Oh, God is working in this house. What? You can make your own breakfast. Let the Lord use you. Let the Lord use you. That's natural maturity. But spiritual maturity is measured by dependence. And the natural, as we grow, we can become more independent. But in the spirit, we grow in our realizations. We need Jesus. Because when you first get saved, you recognize Jesus as your Savior. Come on, he saved you from your sins. He saved you from the devil's hell. But you grow a little bit. So, woo, Jesus, I thank you that you are my Savior. Not only do you save me from danger seen and unseen, you save me from myself. You keep growing with him, you realize, I need Jesus. I'm a mess by myself. I know I need him. I've not reached a point in my Christianity where I can live like Christ without the Christ. I need Jesus. That is the sign of spiritual maturity. Not just saying I need him on Sundays, but saying I need him every single day. I need him going to Walmart. I need him going to Whole Foods. I need him going to Publix. I need him going to work. I need him in traffic on 285 and 85 and 75 and 20. I need Jesus in the off-roads and all the roads. I need Jesus. That's maturity. I need him. I can't live without him. That's spiritual maturity. Recognizing and living dependent on him. That means you actually talk to him about stuff. When he realized you needed Jesus, well, I should have do that. Come on, single, single people, talk to Jesus about, should I go there with that person? When's the last time you talked to Jesus about your dating life? When's the last time you talked to Jesus about your money? Okay, I go there. When's the last time you talked to Jesus about your sex life? Because a lot of things are like Jesus, just Sunday mornings, Jesus. I need a Sunday morning Jesus. But that's not what he offered. He said, I'm Lord. 
That's not just Lord of Sunday morning through this hours. That's everything. And that's just not spiritual things. Sometimes we limit the influence and the impact of Jesus to what we consider spiritual when he says, hey, I just want to do spiritual things. I want to do the natural things. I want to do things where your relationship is concerned, where your finances are concerned, where your health is concerned, where your mental health is concerned, where your career is concerned. I want to be in every area of your life. It is a holistic gospel where the Holy Ghost wants to flow and touch every single area of your life. But the only way he can touch every single area of your life is if you're dependent on him in every single area of your life. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So you might say, well, the Lord only talks to me about this. Is that the only way you've acknowledged him in? He's a gentleman. This is a relationship, not the rules. This is the life of freedom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll pick up here on Wednesday, but poor in spirit has nothing to do with poverty. It has nothing to do with poverty. Poor in spirit, I'll give you a couple definitions as we close. It means to realize that you need Jesus to live this life successfully. To be poor in spirit is to realize that you need Jesus to live this life successfully. It means to be dependent on him and to live the life God has called you to live. It's to be dependent on him to live the life God has called you to live. So the question I want to leave you with today is, are you dependent on him? Because you know what traps a lot of Christians? They become dependent on things Jesus set them free from. They become dependent on things and put pressure and weight on things that was never meant to hold the weight or the pressure. When there should be something they should lean on and leaning on the relationship with Jesus, they lean on other things. And because when those things are taken away, they fall into stuff. We've seen it in individualized and families and even as a culture when we saw what happened in 2020. What are you dependent on? Another way, what are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? Another definition of faith and trust is reliance. In the Old Testament, it's to lean on. Are you leaning on him? Are you dependent on him? Or do you lean on your education? Do you lean on your previous success? Do you lean on what's in your bank account? Do you lean on who you know? Do you lean on your ability? Do you lean on your work ethic? Do you lean on your ability to hustle? What do you lean on? What are you depending on? What's number one where trust is concerned for you? Are you dependent on him? We'll pick up here on Wednesday night. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for freedom. We thank you that Jesus paid the price for our sins. We thank you that he opened the door and loosened every chain. Father, these questions that we share today, I pray that you help them wrestle with these questions over the next several days so they can come forth with an honest answer 
and see where they need to change to go forward. Help us today, Father, not just be hearers of this word, but to be doers of this word so we can be blessed in our doing, so that we can be free to fulfill our destiny. We love you because you first loved us. We respond to your love this morning. Help us to trust you. Help us to lean on you. Help us to be dependent on you. That we lean on you and you alone. For that's the way forward. And that's a ray of freedom. This is such a, a, a holy message. It's such a, uh, it was a really on-time message for you. For you. I'm just here to remind you of how much God loves you. Everything that Jesus did, everything he is doing now, and everything he will ever do is in your favor because he loves you. Independent of the mistakes that you have made, independent of how messy things are right now, you know, God will never love you any more or any less, <laughs> even in your messiest state, when you were just the worst <laughs> in the worst place, just being a mess. God loved you so much and did all of this with you in mind and for you. And freedom belongs to you, but you have to say yes to him. I'm just going to share a small story, and then I'm going to close. Uh, we have a one-year-old, Sophia, and she is mommy, mommy, mommy all the time. She's in, still in the stage where she just wants me to hold her all the time, no matter what mommy is doing at all. <laughs> and our daughter, she screams like with, with some umph when mommy will not pick her up. Sometimes when she's with daddy or Ariana, she's like, I want mommy, right? So, so sometimes I will <sighs> figure out <laughs> how to carry a human being on my side and do everything else up under the sun at the exact same time. And this week was one of those moments I'm actually cooking. <laughs> I'm cooking for Pastor Carrick while he's preaching live downstairs, I'd be quiet. <laughs> and Sophia's on my hip. And as I'm doing this, which I don't do very often, but I didn't want her to scream and you all to hear her <laughs> live. <laughs> so as I'm doing this, uh, she is content and she is trying to help me. But Sophia is very, uh, she listens. When I'm like, no, she doesn't do it. She doesn't touch it. That's hot. She, she listens. So, but she was trying to help me. And if at this stage in her maturity, at this age, anything that she would have been able to do, she would have gotten hurt. I'm cooking over a hot stove. She doesn't have the knowledge or the skill set or the understanding or the height or the length of arms to, to really do much of anything. It doesn't take away from her value at all. 
It doesn't take away from how loved she is in our family, how blessed we are as a result of her being there, but she cannot do that. Her arms are indeed too short. However, she doesn't have to concern herself with whether or not dinner will be provided because I am capable and able to make that meal with skill while multitasking, hold a baby on my side, make sure it's quiet so that you guys don't hear the family in the background during the live service and not break a sweat. Our arms are too short. Your arms are too short to be doing what it is that you're trying to do right now in this season. God is more than able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask you can dream of, and you can even imagine. Your part is faith that God loves you and that he'll perform his word on your behalf. If you're struggling with desire, you pray and you ask him to help you with that struggle. You come to him with everything, big, small, doesn't matter what it is. He's got your back. The Bible says, now, how be it when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truths. Every direction that is given to you by the Lord is for you're good. And that, that, that doesn't really paint the accurate picture because it's not just for your good, it's for your kids, it's for your grandkids, it's for your company, it's for your community, it's for the, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the things that God is asking you to do will be good in a hundred years from now for the people that are here when you're gone. It's so much bigger But anything that he's asking of you is for your good because of his great love for you, and he cares about all of the details. So making him the one who has your back like no other, can take the knives out after people stab it, tell you what not to do so that you're not in a situation in the first place to be stabbed in the back, right? <laughs> If you make him the center of it all, if he's the center of your if he's the center of your life personally as an individual, if he's the center of your marriage, if he's the center of your business, if he's at the center of it all when it comes to career, if he's at the center of it when it comes to the move that you are figuring out if you should make or not. Then what Pastor Carrick described, the, 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 the pleasure of serving Christ, not only will you experience that, not only will his power, not ours, hands too short, arms too short, 
not only will his power make all of the things that you have included him in right, go well beyond you and just pour into generations. But then on top of all of that, and this is what he's trying to do in this season, his power will be able to flow unhindered because we're where we are supposed to be in his perfect will for our lives. So this message and Christ being at the center and you praying and acknowledging him, you seeking him, you including him, especially running to him when you miss it especially. Raise your hand if you have children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, family members that are younger, right? That you, oh, wait, 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 not yet. That even if they were wrong, I mean, they were wrong. (laughs) You would have their back and help them out. Okay, now put your hands, the whole, like, it's just hands everywhere online. Now, what if they were wrong, like, wrong, 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 and someone else is kind of going after them? Some might say rightfully so, because they were so wrong. Would you still have their back? See, I heard a hard absolutely. So she's already ready. Listen, I know my kid started this. But if they're in it, I'm in it. Run boldly to Jesus because he outdoes it in comparison to any good parent. He does so much more than we ever could and would and are capable of doing. The love that we have for our children, the love that Christ has for us and our children, because he's thinking about your children when he's telling you to do these things, surpasses anything that we have ever, we know. We, 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 we don't even, it, there is, um, I don't know. <laughs> It's, uh, he is love, and, and, and he's for you, and he wants you to live a long life, a good life, and he doesn't want you to depend on the things that he sets you free from to find peace or joy, because you know they're killing you. And you're running to them, but you're supposed to be running to him. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel. Download our Faith Plus app and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. 
Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.